Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on November 23rd, 2014. Today's message is titled, Honestly, by Dr. Lyle Shray, and it's based on scriptures, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, and John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. And I'll ask you to please join me with a word of prayer. And gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we have done so with an open heart. And Lord, we've done it with a prayer in our heart that, Lord, you would would be in our lives and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be, be quickened in spirit to live the lives that you've intended us to live from the beginning of time. You've designed us for wonderful things. Lord, we fully confess that uh, we have chosen our own way to go, and Lord, we need your correction, and Lord, we need your forgiveness, and Lord, we need your strength and the courage to live the lives you've wanted us to live. So as we look into your desires, I pray that, Lord, they might be our desires as well, and that, Lord, with that conviction of the Holy Spirit, we might have a commitment of our lives to you. In the wonderful name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Now this morning we arrive at the ninth commandment. Uh, You can get an idea that we've been moving through these uh, ten commandments over the fall. And we arrive to the ninth commandment, which you find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. And as far as the scripture reading, you realize how brief it really is when it comes down to, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, ideally, this should probably be the shortest sermon you would ever hear, as short as maybe the vow that you would make if you were to go into a a court of law. I should simply be able to start the sermon by asking everybody to raise their hand, place it on the, uh, put the other hand on the Bible, and say after me, I promise to tell the truth. Would you do that with me? Would you take your hand up, put up? Come on, we're going to swear you all in. I promise to tell the truth. Tell the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Amen. That's the end of the sermon. That's all you really need to hear. The problem is, however, that we don't live our lives in a court of law where we can take a deep breath and muster up just enough energy to tell the truth for that particular moment or however long it is that we are on the stand. We live our lives in a 24-7 period of time where the truth of our lips and the integrity of our witness is under constant attention and constant pressure. And the truth be told, somewhere along that timeline of the 24-7, we, we do lie. When we turn to the Bible, that is a reality that we all must face up to. In the first chapter of the book of John, 1 John, I'm sorry, 1 John, the verdict is read out in very clear terms. In verse 6 it reads, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, what does it say? We lie. In verse 8, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We lie. And as you read that, please note, it is not God's intention just to reveal us to be liars, to shame us, uh, but it's his intention to heal us. Because right away then, in verse 9 of 1 John, it says, if we confess our sins we will find him to be faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us 
from all unrighteousness. Some of us know what it is like to be held prisoner to our own pack of lies as they have built up over time. Check that. All of us know what it is like to be held prisoner to our own lies. And the invitation this morning, held out by God himself, is to step out of the darkness and into the light to know the truth and to be set free. And so we read in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not lie. Now let me be the first to admit, that is not an easy thing to do. We live in a society where lying seems to be a ground rule, even an art form, actually, when you think of it. It happens in the workplace. In one survey of 7,000 resumes, Business Week reported that 71% of those resumes, 7,000 resumes, misrepresented the number of years they had in previous jobs, 64% exaggerated their accomplishments, 60% exaggerated the size of their previous workplace, 52% listed partial academic work as completed degrees, and 48% exaggerated their previous compensation as a starting point for the negotiations for their new pay package. (laughs) It's becoming an art form. It happens in the workplace. It also happens in schools. A massive study conducted by Duke University of 70,000 secondary and university students in 2006 revealed that 70% admitted to deliberate cheating. 70%. And what made that so depressing was that that was a 14% increase of the same study that was conducted just 10 years previously and a 44% hike from the same study that was 20 years previous to that. A lot of statistics out there, I know. But in case you're interested, business majors out of that study were the worst of the bunch, (laughs) with 87% admitting to deliberate cheating, business majors. Engineers, (laughs) they were second at 74%. Science majors at 67%. What I found to be very curious as I was looking at that study was that uh, they did not list political science majors or law majors. I wonder if they came in at 0%. I wonder, you know, just imagine the way they operate in life. I never lie. I never cheat. Just look at this face. Would it lie to you? Trust me. (laughs) And things aren't getting any better. In fact, they seem to be settling in. In a related poll of 25,000 secondary students, well over half agreed with this statement. A person has to lie or cheat sometimes in order to succeed. Yeah, right. Lying. False witness. It's just about everywhere. I clipped an article from USA Today entitled The Ten Most Frequent Lies That You Will Hear in a Given Day. Listen to what they are. And tell me if you might have heard them. The check is in the mail. You get this one. I'll pay next time. Trust me, it's all good. Of course I love you. It's not the money. It's, let's all say it together, the principle of the thing. I never watch TV except for the news. (laughs) We can still be good friends. I'll give you a call later. And number one on the list, 
sorry, we can't come to the phone right now. <laughs> Do any of those sound familiar to you? You shall not bear false witness. Nothing is per, as, as pervasive as lying. Not only is lying pervasive, but I also have it on, uh, on the outline, is nothing as perversive as lying. How does that sound? While our society seems to be treating lying as an art form, God treats it with a degree of horror. In the sixth chapter of the book of Proverbs, there is a list of seven things that God hates. Two of them have to do with lying and with deception. You shall not lie. God hates it. In fact, when Jesus traces lying all the way back to its source, we find ourselves coming face to face with Satan himself. That's the horror. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Whoa, play with that one for just a moment. Lies are Satan's native language. And every time you lie, you are proving yourself to be fluent in his native tongue. And the effect of lies carry all the sting of that place called hell, and it hurts. And some of you know exactly what it's like to have been lied to or lied about. It not only hurts, it's a hurt that does not stop. Calvin Miller tells the story of a young man who told a lie about an older man in his village. It was a vicious comment that became part of uh, the common war and a village rumor. And when the young man saw what he had done, he felt remorseful, and he went to the older man to ask his forgiveness. He wanted to make things right. And so the old man picked up a feather pillow and told the young man to come with him as he went to the village church, and they climbed to the very top of the steeple in that church, and there he ripped the pillow open, and the feathers flew in all directions, and he said to him, okay, now go out and pick them up, and then you will be forgiven. All of them, all of them, the young man cried, that is impossible. And that is right, said the old man. While I can forgive you, it is impossible to undo the damage of your lie. It stings, it hurts, and it lingers all along the way. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Please understand that when God lays down this command. It is more as a way to protect us from the evil one. It's his way of clearing the way for us to, in fact, enjoy him and experience his presence. Even as lies are an inherent part of, of, of Satan's nature, truth is, in fact, core to God's own trademark character. We read in Thomas, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 2, that God does not lie. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it is impossible for God to lie. And in Numbers chapter 24, 19, that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Truth is the trademark of God. And whenever you speak the truth, you feel the pleasure of his company. But to have that freedom, there must be a thorough commitment in your heart of obedience to God. There's an interesting note in all of this. You may remember that I said that the Ten Commandments appears twice 
in the Old Testament. It does. In, in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, you may have your Bibles open there, but I like, it also appears in Deuteronomy chapter 5. You might want to turn to there and have both of those open. For the most part, the wording of each rendition of the Ten Commandments is the same, except for here. Two different words are used. In the English, they, they, they read the same, false witness. You shall not give false witness. In Exodus, the word is a technical legal term that means a lie or an untrue statement. It is a definitive, factual untruth. And so it could be better probably translated, you shall not lie, bearing false witness. In Deuteronomy, the word carries the meaning of something that is frivolous, empty, insincere, as well as untrue. It's a different word. Put them together, however, and God expands his command, not only to cover the letter of the law as defined in Exodus, but also the spirit of the law as defined in Deuteronomy. And being a matter of the spirit, this command now cuts to the quick. You can never say, well, I didn't actually lie when I said what I said if it didn't mean what you really meant. Like when the telephone rings and you run into the bathroom and you step in the tub and you tell your wife, tell them I'm in the tub. <laughs> Not that I've ever done that, but, um, uh, you know, the spirit, you're telling the truth, but the spirit is not true. And it's just not the letter, it is a spirit. It's as if it's in your heart to deceive, and so the command comes out, you shall not bear false witness. And because it's an issue of the spirit, our cure is a matter of spiritual growth and maturity. So, so let's grow up. How can we grow up, you may ask? Well, there's a couple of steps you can take. The, the first step, the step number one, is to know the truth. Know what is true. This command shows a greater goal that God has for us, that our, that our relationship with our world, with people as well as with ourselves, should always be honest, open, and based on reality. Think about it. The glory of the gospel is that it puts us in touch with reality. The reality of right and wrong. The reality of good and evil. The reality of sin and righteousness. The reality of pride and humility. It is because of the gospel that God has allowed us to be in touch with reality as it is. I love the appeal that is made by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He says, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. This command encourages each one of us not to create fantasies about ourselves or of other people, but to get in touch with reality, a reality without games or with deception, and to recognize the truth for what it is. Know the truth. The command provides a, a caution that allows Jesus then to make an invitation, the invitation you heard in, chapter, in, in, in John chapter 8. If you hold to my teachings, he says, what, you, what you, are, you are really, and I like that word because really does bring out the fact that we are in touch with reality. You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is an evil thing for us to, to live under a cover of lies. 
and to create for ourselves an image which is not true. And yes, I mean it is evil. Uh, I love the passage from the book by C.S. Lewis. Some of you may have read the, the book that he wrote called Screwtape Letters. Have, have any of you read it? Just raise your hand if you have. Great book. Just a great book. And in the book, there is a senior devil who is writing to a junior devil. He's mentoring this junior devil uh, about uh, how to thwart the faith venture of a patient. And, and he's writing to this, this, this junior devil uh, about the difference between his father below, or, who in the book is Satan himself, or, and the enemy, or in the book is known as God. Okay, the, the enemy is God, and the father below is Satan. And, and, and there's a way to help them relate to human beings. And so referring to Satan's strategy, Screwtape writes this. He says, as a preliminary to detaching him from the enemy, taking him away from God, you want to detach your human victim from himself. And do this, and it will only be a small step to remove him from all contact with the enemy who is God. So much of lying is done to circumvent reality. We want things to be different. We want ourselves to be different. We lack the courage to own up to reality. It is a fearful thing to face the facts, which makes it a wonderful thing that Jesus takes us in hand and gently and graciously awakens us to reality, to know the truth, the truth about our lies, about our sins, about our needs, about our reality, and then in knowing the truth about his love, matching it together to know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Do you have the courage to face reality? Step number one is to know the truth and have the courage to embrace it. Step number two is then to love the truth. When Jesus says that the truth sets you free, there is something about truth that really does liberate life. It gives a sense of confidence and comfort and stability. Let's face it, lying undercuts our ability to trust others, even to trust ourselves, while truth brings assurance. When we lie, it undermines personal relationships. It undermines uh, marital bonds. It, it tears apart friendships. I love the story that Dr. Laura, uh, Laura Schlesinger, some of you may have listened to her tele uh, radio show. Anyhow, she tells a story in her book on the Ten Commandments of a time that she caught her six-year-old in a lie. She had given him the lying lecture so many times uh, and then finally decided when, when he lied finally this one time that she was going to have to do something different. So she told him that for one week, he would never know whether or not she was lying to him or telling the truth. And his response to her was, whatever. <laughs> well, the next day while driving him to school, she promised him that she would have a special treat for him after school. So all day long, he was looking forward to it. But after school, when she picked him up and she took him home, they got home, there was nothing. So he reminded her of her promise, and she looked at me, and she says, I lied. And his reaction was, but you promised. Two days after that sort of treatment, he finally got the message, confessed to his sins, and was set free and got a special treat. But you get the point. There's something wonderful about, about the telling of truth. 
that in fact it builds trust and security and confidence. And I have to tell you, the people that I love the most are those who in fact tell me the truth. And I would like to think that, that, that what others would love most about me is that, that I tell them the truth as well. Kindly, gently, but, but truthfully. Paul put it the best. He said, put off falsehood, speak truth to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Know the truth. Have the courage to embrace reality. Love the truth. Realize that it is that freedom that that Jesus has given you to speak the truth. One more thing, live the truth. Years ago, when I went entered in the United States Coast Guard Academy as a swab recruit, I was given this little book called The Running Light. You can tell it has been torn to pieces because we had to end up memorizing this entire book and having to spout it off when an upperclassman would come and haze us with questions like, um, oh, I was, I was toying this. In fact, I was proving that I could remember it. Like one of the questions here is, um, what time is it? And the answer is... Sir, I am greatly embarrassed and deeply humiliated that due to unforeseen circumstances over which I have no control, the inner workings and hidden mechanisms of my chronometer are in such great in accord with the great side real movement by which time is generally reckoned that I cannot with any degree of accuracy state the exact time. However, it is approximately, um, what, 11.30? <laughs> we had to memorize this book. And, and in memorizing the book, uh, uh, it, it was all the rules of the academy that were intended to turn me into an officer and a gentleman. And as far as I could tell, there was only one thing in this that is referring to the Bible, one Bible verse in the entire book. In, in that question and answer period, right between the one question, who lives here, and the answer is, he who lives here on, reveres honor and honors duty. And then the other question is, what is the Coast Guard? And the answer is, the hard nucleus around which the Navy forms in time of war. Is this one question? How do you speak, mister? And the answer comes straight from the book of James. I speak yea, yea, or nay, nay, lest I fall into condemnation. That's, that's my life. That's how I'm living my life. You might read it differently in the book of James. So let your yes be yes or your no be no, lest you fall into condemnation. So I have to ask the question, how do you speak, man of God? How do you speak, woman of God? Is your yes, yes? Is your no, no? Is your life an illustration of the integrity of truth? You can count on people like that. People who have taken it to heart that you shall not bear false witness. Several years ago, Christianity Today reported the story of a young Christian, uh, uh, a man. <clears throat> they, uh, Sports Illustrated picked up on a seven-year-old first baseman. The guy's name was Tanner Muncy. While playing t-ball in Wellington, Florida, Tanner fielded a ground ball and, and, and tried to tag a runner going from first to second base. The umpire, Laura Benson, uh, called the runner out, thinking that he had tagged him. But young Tanner immediately ran up to her side and said, Ma'am, I didn't tag the runner. I missed him. The umpire reversed herself and sent the runner to second base. You shall not bear false witness. 
Two weeks later, Benson was again the umpire of the game, and Tanner was playing shortstop this time. This time, Benson ruled that Tanner missed the tag on a runner going to third base. <laughs> and she called the runner safe. Well, Tanner was obviously disappointed. He tossed the ball to the pitcher. He returned to his position. But the, but the umpire, Benson, uh, sensed that something was wrong, and she called a timeout. And so she went over to Tanner, and she asked, what's wrong? And Tanner quietly said, I have, I did tag him out. Benson's response, you're out. <laughs> and she sent the runner to the bench. And the opposing coach rushed out on the field and began to protest, but Benson explained what had happened just two weeks earlier and said, if a kid is that honest, I have to give it to him. You can count on people who live the truth. According to the plan of God, according to the design of God, according to the way God has made us and wants us to live, you should be able to count on, on people and men and women of God who live in obedience to the one whose name is the way, the truth, and the life. So take the challenge. Take the challenge. You can be honest with God. That's where it begins. You can be honest with him. You, you don't have to play games with him. He is the one who declared this ninth commandment. And he is not going to bear false witness to you when he says, I will forgive you and you will be my child. He does not bear false witness to you and you do not have to bear false witness to him either. And our goal in life ought to be to be a people who embrace the truth. And that includes not only being a people of integrity, of honesty, but also a people who embrace God for who he is. This is his great design and grand design. He wants you to have a relationship with reality. That's the point of this whole thing. He wants you to have a relationship with reality, and so the question is, do you have that relationship with reality? Or is, in fact, your life a series of games that you have played in order to fool people about who you are? And maybe even possibly fool God into thinking that you are someone different. Have you ever tried to fool God? It's difficult to have a relationship with Jesus Christ until that game comes to an end. God wants us to be in a relationship with him without games, without subterfuge, without hiding, because he is good and he really does love you. So let me ask the question in closing of this sermon. Can you handle the truth? No, no, wait a minute. I, let me change that. Let me end this sermon by giving you an answer. By the grace of God, by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can handle the truth. You really can. You really can. If you give your life to him. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, even as I, as, I, as, I, as I consider the reflections of this command, I am brought short and I must confess that there are those things in my life that have not been in accord with the truth and I, I confess myself to you. If I were to say it any differently, the truth would not be in me. And if I were to think any differently, Lord, I would be deceiving myself. And you already know that. You've already revealed that, that knowledge of my life, of each of our lives in your word in 1 John. 
but you've also revealed your purposes. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, and that you will forgive us our sins, you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and you will empower us by the Holy Spirit to live the life that you've intended us to live from the beginning of time, what you created for us to be the man of God or the woman of God you've meant us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us of our sin. And, Lord, in that truth, we would be set free. In the wonderful name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.